0: Praise the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, If you would turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 and 21. It says, and listen very carefully to these words. It's kind of... um, Very interesting the wording that Paul uses here, and we need to really apply ourselves to understand what he's talking about. But he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, we've heard that verse before, so we don't think about it real deeply, but think how strange of a statement that is. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, we all remember the story of Jesus being crucified. How many remember Paul being there with him? That's who's speaking the words. So we've got to figure out what's Paul talking about. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you so much, Lord. And uh, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, and that you would help me, Lord. Help me speak your words. And, um, and Lord, I pray that you would, um, Holy Spirit, give us the ability to learn uh, from you, Lord. And it would not be my words, but it would be your teaching, Lord, through uh, you, Holy Spirit. And you would just um, open up hearts, minds, Lord, speak clearly to us today. And uh, everybody says, Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Um, So we're in Galatians. This is part three of our Galatians study. Title of my message is Christ living in me. Christ Living in Me. And uh, last week I took two pretty large um, sections of text which was kind of daring, uh, which kind of made me not have the ability to really explain it well. So today I'm just going to cover two verses and um, I want to cover them real well. Um, But how many know a lot of what we know about living the Christian life? Um, Basically, number one, living the Christian life is watching the life of Jesus Christ. Like, how did He live His life? How did He behave? I mean, this literally, according to the Bible, is God living on this earth, and He wanted to teach us how to live life. How many know that to be true? Jesus Christ was modeling the life that God intended for us to live on this earth. And so the teachings and the life of Jesus Christ, but a lot of what we know about the Christian life comes from the Apostle Paul as well. He wrote nearly half the books of the New Testament, 13, and then also the book of Acts. The majority of that book is the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul uh, gives us an awful lot of instructions about how to live the Christian life and what's expected of us as Christians to live that life. And um, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, these verses we're studying today, um, Paul is giving us the secret about how to live the Christian life. He kind of gives two summary verses at the end of Galatians chapter 2 that summarizes a lot of the discussion he's had up until now. And uh, Paul is not only teaching us, how to live the Christian life, but he's also telling us that, hey, I am an example. I'm living an example of the Christian life. Follow me as well. In fact, in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who walk so as uh, you have us for a pattern um, of behavior. And so Paul is giving an example of the life we're to live as Christians. And so it would do really well to look at how did Paul live his life. And so in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, he tells us exactly that, how he lives his life in Christ. Um, But in order to look at how he is now, in fact, in that verse he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Notice he said, the life that I now live. um, I live in Jesus Christ. And he's telling you the life that he lives and how he lives it. uh, By living a life that is crucified in Christ. And when he says, the life I now live... It's very important before we get into this verse to look at the life that he used to live. How I many think that's important to know a little bit about Paul before he lives this life? And in my mind, um, as I was praying during the week for this message, I was thinking about the two different lives that Paul lived. And one of the things that kind of distinguishes his two lives is his name, Um when you see Paul before his conversion, in fact, you even see him called this after his conversion several times. But how many know that he has the name Saul? And uh, so Saul is his name, and a lot of people are a little confused with that. They see where God changed the name of Abram to Abraham, and they see where God changed the name of Israel or Jacob to Israel. And sometimes we think that Paul was converted. And God said, okay, now you're going to be called Paul. But that wasn't the case in this situation. In this situation, um, most people believe that he had the name Paul his entire life. In fact, the name Paul means little. And if you look at the, the, the few descriptions we have of Paul, he wasn't a very big man. And uh, so it would apply not only to his stature, but also Paul uh, was so humbled in the Lord that he took on that name, and most people believe that you had, you had two names in the ancient world a lot of times. In fact, several people in the Bible had what would be their Hebrew name, and then they had another name that they kind of did business with, which was their, more of their Roman name. And so Paul was Saul, which was his Hebrew name, and then also was called Paul, which was, which was his Roman name. And so look at the different lives that Paul lived. When he was going by the name of Saul, um, before he met Jesus Christ, and we talked about it last week, Paul had an amazing um, vision of Jesus Christ. And when he was on his way, he was a very religious person. In fact, he was probably um, one of the most uh, religious people and doing everything that he knew to do to serve God. Uh, He was very devoted to God, uh, very committed to God. And then one day, um, on the road to Damascus, God, literally, he had a vision that knocked him off of his horse. And he was blind. We talked about it last week. He was blind for three days. And Jesus Christ himself began to reveal himself to Paul. And he he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And up until that point... Um, And this is very important to understand. Paul was a Pharisee. And uh, how many have ever heard the term Pharisee in the New Testament? Okay, nobody. All right, a few people. One person has heard of that. Pharisees are mentioned very often in the New Testament. In fact, you hear uh, two groups of people really often. That's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And uh, just to give you a little background before we get in the message, uh, the Pharisees... And the Sadducees, and this is going to be a history, real quick little history lesson because some people take notes and kind of wonder where did they come from. And um, if you look at the uh, Greek Empire, how many have ever studied history and you read about Alexander the Great? And Alexander the Great nearly conquered the entire known world in around 333 B.C. And so the Greek Empire spread across the entire world And in fact, this area where Jerusalem and Israel is, was under the um, empire of the Greek empire. When Alexander the Great died, they said, who are we going uh, to give your empire to as he was dying? And Alexander the Great said, give it to the strong. And he died. What a great final words, I guess, huh? He said, give it to the strong. And so four of his generals uh, eventually rose up and and the kingdom was broken into four sections. And the section of Jerusalem around the time of 165 was under the control of the Seleucid Empire, which was a part of the Greek Empire, one of the four generals of the Greek Empire. And so in 165, there was a king there named Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus Epiphanes was a terrible Greek king. And so the Jews rose up, they retook Jerusalem, it's called the Maccabean Rebellion, and under the Maccabean rebellion, they retook Jerusalem and they became under the control of the Jewish people for a 100 years. So from about 165 B.C. till about 63 A.D., when the Romans finally took Jerusalem back, uh, they were under the control of the Jews. Well, at this time, two groups began to emerge. The priestly group, um, who were wealthy and were part of the... Um, um, the ruling party, a ruling almost like a political party. They were from the priestly class. They were a ruling group of people. And then the Pharisees were the other group. And the Pharisees were more of the middle class people. And the reason I say this is because the Bible usually doesn't have anything good to say about the Sadducees or Pharisees. And uh Paul was a part of this group. And uh, Jesus you seem quite often in conflict with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were, um, in a lot of ways, they were the good guys and they were the bad guys. Um, In some ways, they were the good guys. Because the Pharisees were the group of people, and unless you really study the background of the Pharisees, they were the group of people that committed themselves to live a separated life. And Jesus quite often, um, when he says negative things about the Pharisees, there are a lot of people don't realize, but the Pharisees were broken up into two groups, and uh, there were two different, um, two different men and two different schools of thought. One was called Shammai, and the other one's name was Hillel. And um, I know I'm kind of boring here, (laughs) but Shammai and Hillel. Uh, Shammai was very strict. And so everybody that came from the school of Shammai were very, very strict. And most of the things that Jesus discussed and most of the things that Jesus criticized came from this particular school of thought. And they were the ones that said we're so separated that we don't actually talk to other people, that we separate ourselves from Gentiles, we don't communicate with other people. Uh, They had a whole ceremonial thing of washing. Of washings. They had all kinds of laws of men that they added. And then this other school was a school um, named Hillel. And Hillel had a grandson named Gamaliel, which is where Paul um, is who he learned under. And so Jesus, a lot of the things that he defended with Phariseeism came from this school of Hillel. Uh, In fact, uh, Gamaliel was one that defended Jesus on the Sanhedrin. He was one of the ones that had something positive to say about Jesus. And a lot of the different people that came to Christ um, were from this other school. In fact, he taught the spirit of the law as opposed to the letter of the law. And so you have to understand there's a little distinction with the Pharisees. And um, and so as we, we come down to Paul here... Paul had only known what it meant to be a Pharisee. So Paul's whole life had been influenced by the Pharisees. And so here is Jesus coming on the scene, and he's beginning to challenge everything that the Pharisees had taught. And so most of what Paul knew was um, to be a religious person. And so most of Paul's life had been spent trying to please God through religious exercises. And how many know this can be a pretty miserable life? And last week I talked about the rut of religion. And so the question I want to ask you first is, are you more Saul or are you more Paul? Because I'm going to get into Paul in a minute, but Saul you very rarely could find another person that's more zealous for God than Saul was. In fact, Saul did everything he possibly could that he thought was pleasing to God. In fact, a lot of people will go their entire life and they'll go to church. Do you know what reason they go to church? Because God will be pleased with me. Because if I go to church every week... He'll be pleased with me. And if God is pleased with me, then maybe I can go to heaven. Some people give money to the church for what reason? Because God will be pleased with me. And if God's pleased with me, I might go to heaven. And some people do the right thing because if God is pleased with me because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss. I don't do all these things, and so Paul had spent a whole lifetime being a religious person, and so in fact he was so. In fact, there was at no time was there more than about six thousand Pharisees in the entire world. They were the best from every area. They were religiously trained, and uh, Paul thought he was doing God a favor by stamping out this group of people that believed in Jesus Christ. Jesus came with a different message and he was very critical of the religious practices of the Pharisees. Now, how many think that would make a religious group very happy? It didn't make them very happy. In fact, Jesus said, no, this is not what God intended with that law. Here's what he intended. This is not good what you do by not eating with Gentiles because God came to save them. God, in fact, they were doing something so Religiously, he said, hey, you do all the little things, but the weightier things like loving people, he said, you don't do. And Jesus started criticizing religious people, and guess what happened? They killed him. (laughs) They basically eventually came to the point where they crucified him, and it was the Sadducees that actually presented the charges, and it was the Pharisees that said, yes, we consent to it. And so the most religious people in the world that were trying to please God through religion, they were trying to do man-made things to please God. Um, those, that's what Saul had been up until that point. But something changed in Saul's life. He met Jesus. And so after he meets Jesus, he then begins to be called by the name of Paul, which literally just means little. It means that, hey, I'm taking everything that I've... You've got to understand, Paul was at the height of being a Pharisee. Um, He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was one of the most religious people in the world. And Paul met Jesus and everything changed. And so the question is, are pleasing God, are we more like Saul or are we more like Paul? And so is our religious practice, the things that we do to please God. uh, And in fact, I I, I began thinking all week because I really struggled last week. Um, You know, I struggled because I was teaching verse by verse through Galatians. And it's all about um, Jewish law, religious things. And the reason I struggled was because I didn't feel like it was... When you're preparing messages, you spend all your time... Trying to simplify. Like everything you do is trying to make something that's complicated as simple as possible so people can understand it. And I had a hard time doing that last week. Because Galatians gets into some weighty things that we're not used to talking about in our society. And so I thought, man, how do I just break this down and make it easy to understand? And then God just kept telling me, just look at Paul's life. You know, Paul was a religious man who was at the epitome. He couldn't have done more according to what he was taught in religion. How many know that? Paul couldn't have done any more as far as pertaining to religion. In fact, like I said, his persecution even of Christians was because he thought they were teaching heresy. He thought they were teaching something wrong. And how many know he thought he was doing God a favor by even wiping out Christianity? And then God converts him he meets Jesus, and everything changes. And so we need to evaluate, is what happened with Paul what's happening with us? You know, why do I go to church? Why do I give you know, money to the church? Why do I do good deeds? Why do I do good things? Is it because I'm trying to religiously have God look at my work and say, man, you are right with me, and I'm going to honor you. Or is it because we, we met Jesus like Paul did? And so Paul begins to say, the life that I now live. So let's look at the life that Paul now lives. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. What are you talking about, Paul? You ever think how strange that line is? I have been crucified with Christ? It is no longer I who live. I mean, that is a strange line if you just really think about it. Paul saying that he was crucified with Christ. And he doesn't live any longer. That Christ lives in him. And so as we begin to look at that, we begin to think, well, how is that even possible? How is it possible for Him to be crucified with Christ. And we look at another Pharisee that came to Jesus in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher of that has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, now this is a strange reply. Just remember, this guy came by night representing many of the Pharisees. And like I said, if you don't know the split in the Pharisees, you don't realize there were two schools. Some of these Pharisees were very open that came from Hillel's school. They really were very open to Jesus, and many of them followed Jesus. And so this Nicodemus came, and he wants to know from Jesus. He says, we know you are a teacher from God. No one can do what you're doing unless God, God were not with him. And Jesus replies, okay, what was the question? He doesn't ask a question. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now Nicodemus is really confused. He says, How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should, be, you should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. So Jesus is speaking this again. Nicodemus, you're a Pharisee. You've done everything possible to be religious. Everything that should, you know, God should, the Pharisee felt like God should look at him and say, you're so religious, you're, you're entering the kingdom of heaven. He said, no, you can't unless you're born again. And Nicodemus is saying, well, God, I don't understand. How can I be born again? And then here you have Paul saying, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but he lives in me. So as you begin to look at this, you you, you try to figure out what's he talking about. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3 is written by Paul, and he gives the answer. He says, Do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism unto death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even though, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, the old man was crucified with him, that the body of his sin might be done away with, that we no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we also shall live with him. Do you hear what he's saying here? That this crucifixion, me being crucified with Christ, is connected to my baptism. In fact, uh, the baptism, the Bible says, doesn't save you. It's the washing of the water of the filth. It's not the washing of the water of the filth of the flesh, but a good conscience toward God. But how many know the baptism is the symbol of what we're doing in our heart? The thing that's being accomplished in our heart is what's happening in our baptism. And so what's happening is we're being crucified with Christ. We're dying with Him, and when we die... We're raised up in Him and He lives through us. So what is being crucified and what are they talking about? Paul begins to explain it in Galatians 2.20. He said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So number one, what is crucified? Self. You ever thought about that? When I am baptized... Literally, it's supposed to be like my death and my resurrection. Now, I can remember very distinctly when God started awakening me to living for Christ. I remember thinking to myself, how is it possible that every day of my life I've lived for myself? Have I ever thought about that? It dawned on me one day. Every day of my life, I've lived for myself. I've got up and I thought to myself, what do I want? What do I want to eat? What do I want to do? You know, what do I want for myself? What do I want to gain for myself? And everything about me was selfish. And you say, well, man, you're a bad person. Same thing was true about you. All right? And in order to be in Christ, I've got to crucify me, my wants, my desires, myself. Because self is the one thing that's going to get in my way if I want Christ to live in me. And so Paul is just telling us the basics of salvation here. Anybody ever heard somebody say, Christ lives in your heart? So, man, I don't understand that. But here's the thing if I live a selfish life, how can it? Christ ever lived through my life? How's it possible for Christ to ever do anything through these hands? How's it possible for Christ to ever do anything through these feet? How's it possible for Christ to ever use my mind to touch somebody, to do something for somebody? And how many know that religious life, sometimes you can live a religious life and never actually live for Christ? Christ. You can you can spend your whole life saying, "Man, um, I'm not like the other people." You know that was the thing about the Pharisees—they would stand and pray. One of the things Jesus was critical of was they would stand and pray, and they were they were known actually to say, "I'm glad I'm not like the Gentiles." And so he actually gave it—you know—was talking about how a Pharisee would stand and pray. And say, I'm glad I'm not like this tax collector. And the tax collector was very humble and actually saying, you know, repenting for his sins. And he was saying, that one's going to be heard of God, not the one that looks down on the other one. How many of you know you can be religious and never actually let Christ live through you and not be a selfish person? So the number one thing Paul's is saying is. I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So he's saying that self self has to die. In fact, he is not only saying this is how I live my life now, he's actually modeling what Christ had taught. In Luke 9.23, Jesus said this, Jesus said to them all, If anyone desires to follow me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I mean, Paul was just repeating what Jesus had already said. You know how hard it is to pick up your cross daily? That means to get up every morning and say, today is not about me. It's about what Christ wants to do in this world. In fact, that school of Phariseeism, that Shammai school, what they had taught was that we are so separated to God that we don't even talk to Gentiles. We don't even associate with Gentiles. We don't have conversations with Gentiles. And then here comes Jesus Christ to shatter everything that that school of Phariseeism had ever taught. What was Jesus doing when he came? He said, my mission is to seek and to save the lost. Uh, I am coming to save the one. Um, The 99 are safe and I'm going after the one who's lost. And Jesus was the one that they reviled because he was speaking to people who were lost. And so Jesus got up every day and his mission was to seek and save the lost. If Christ is going to live through me, what should my mission be? Save the lost. My mission should be to get up every day and crucify self and say, man, today I want Christ to live through me. Whatever it takes, Lord. In fact, a lot of people don't pray before they leave every day, but... But it's so important because every day when you leave, you've got to say to yourself, Today, I'm going to make an impact for Christ. I'm going to be used today and let Christ live through me. And so this was really, for Paul, this was something very unique. In fact, I told you last week that it said Paul was separated from his mother's womb to reach the Gentiles. And he was actually making a play on words because the word Pharisee means Separated one. And so he was saying, now I am separated to reach the lost. Let me know, we've been separated to reach the lost. Paul here is no longer Saul the persecutor. Now he's Saul that is reaching the lost. You see the change in Paul. The second thing, it means that we crucify the flesh. Galatians 5.24, which is a couple chapters later, Paul says this, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Wow. Romans 6.6, 6, Paul says this, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, we no longer live as slaves to sin. Romans 6.11, a few verses later, he says, Likewise also, reckon yourself dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you do not obey its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being one who is alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Do you catch this? He says, now crucified with Christ not only means myself needs to die every day so Christ can live through me, but now my body is His. No longer let your bodies be instruments for unrighteousness, but get up every day and say, you know what, I want my body to be used for God. And see, before religious Saul, guess what he did um, in order to please God? He would obey the laws religiously because he thought if people could see him being obedient and he was a religious person that somehow he would please God. But Paul is different. Paul's getting up every day and he's mortifying his body. He's crucifying his body daily. It says, therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust. Remember Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, your old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that you'll no longer be its slave anymore. How many know that a lot of us before Christ, our bodies were slaves to sin? And Jesus Christ, when we crucified with Christ, now all of a sudden, we are waking up every day, and because we love God and because we've been crucified with Christ, now we're as one who is dead to sin, and now every day we want to live for Christ. And so Paul is saying, This is a different change for me. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer it is I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me, so another thing that Paul did was each day he would crucify his flesh and the lust and the desires, and uh so he could live for God every day. How many know how much time we waste every day because of being slaves to sin? Have I ever thought about that? How different would the world be if we spent our time on living for Christ every day as opposed to living? For our flesh. You say well man I can't help it. I can't help it. I just keep doing those things over and over. And I just can't help it. But Paul said. Every day I crucify my flesh. So I can be alive for God. And so Christ is living through him. Because he's not making arrangements for the flesh to have sin every day. He's living for God so Christ can live in him every day. And you say well where does this you know. These sound like great flowery words, but where does it, what does this mean for my life? This means, uh, you look at some of the sins that Paul begins to state in Galatians, uh, some of them are wrath, some of them are anger, some are jealousy, some are envy, you say, oh no, now it's getting really personal. Because here's the problem, and you say, well, Chad, you're subject to those, but we're not. (laughs) But here's the thing. If we make a provision for those things in our life every day, how I many you know those things are going to be the things that we're a slave to? But Paul's saying we have an ability not to let those things reign in our life and we can be alive to Christ every day. You mean I don't have to be mad all day? You don't mean I don't have to go to work and be angry all day? You mean I don't have to go to work and be envious all day? I don't have to go to work and be jealous all day? I don't have to be caught up in all these sinful things all day. I can actually be alive to God for one day. Imagine what one day would be like to be alive for God. To be alive for Christ for one day without sin getting in your way. That's what Paul's talking about. Christ lives in me. You know, I'm no longer uh, bound by, I'm no longer a slave to these sinful things anymore. Christ has set me free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he set you free because Paul, his whole life, tried to be a better version of Paul. But now he's trying to imitate Christ. How many know that's totally different? It's totally different to try to be a better version of yourself because you can walk around every day. How many know you can walk around and say, Man, I'm better than I was yesterday? I mean, I didn't get as mad as I could have got. I didn't uh, say what I'd normally say, or I didn't say what I was thinking, or, or they're lucky I didn't do this, or they're lucky I didn't do that, because we're comparing ourselves to us. But then you take that same behavior and compare it to Christ, and I like, oh, wow, <laughs> I'm messed up, okay? And so that's what Paul was doing. Paul was saying, no longer is I who live. I've been crucified and nailed to the cross Now I'm going to let Christ live through me, which is a totally different person. Paul's died. The old Paul's gone. And now Christ is the one that's living. And to live like Christ, man, have you ever done that? How hard that is? To live like Christ? Hey, you know, um, I'm trying to live like Christ now. And so I just want you to know I messed up. (laughs) You know, how many have ever done that. You know, it's like I'm trying to live like Christ. And it's like really difficult. Because you have to go back and apologize a lot. How many have ever done that? Hallelujah. Living like Christ is not the easiest thing. That's why he says, carry your cross daily. Another thing that it means it means that we have crucified, we're crucified to the world. Galatians six thirty or six fourteen, a few verse or chapters later, it says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. You hear that? But God forbid I should boast except in the cross of our Lord cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 4 3 says this Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Galatians 4 9, a few verses later. But now, after you have known God, or rather you are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? <clears throat> you understand that we have um, crucified? The world is crucified to me, and I am crucified to the world. That means that um, everything that I desire... How many have ever wanted to just... You know, you've got all these worldly desires of ambition, selfish ambition, all of these things, and when you're crucified in Christ, how many know you just give that to Christ? In fact, there was a time in my life where I thought my happiness was achieving something in this world. How many have ever been there? It's called selfish ambition. And you're like, man, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to be big. I'm going to be great. And, uh, and then at some point you realize that that is like fleeting. I mean, it's like not satisfying. It's not. There's never going to be a place. And you say, well, man, if I, you know, sometimes when you're young, you're like, man, if I just had this. That would make me happy. You know, if I only could achieve this, that's going to give me joy. If I could only accomplish this in the world, then I would be happy. And how many have went down that road? I've went down that road, and every single thing that I thought was going to make me happy in this world in some way shattered. Shattered. And you say, well, man, that's terrible and that's depressing. That's upsetting to hear that, you know, that you never found anything. But that's not true. Because I found the pearl of great price. I found that it wasn't the things of this world that bring me joy. It wasn't the things of this world that get me excited when I get up in the morning. In fact, if my joy is in this world, how many know it's very fragile? In fact, uh, the things that can make you happy in this world can quickly change and you can be depressed. And and, and if you're a Christian and you know Jesus Christ and you know um, uh, if all there was was a finite world of where I'm born and where I die, and that's all I have in this world, how many know that you have no hope? You have no hope. It's just a finite world. How many ever years you live, it's fragile, it's broken, but can I tell you something? When you look at eternity, like if I had a rope in my hand and I just had the end of it, okay, and that rope went for miles and miles and miles, the life that we live is just the end of that rope. Eternity is forever. And Christ wants us to get a hold of what the Bible calls the blessed hope. Then the hope is that I'm going to be with Christ, and this is not the world... I was intended to be in that there's a place that he's prepared for me and just a little while longer I'm going to be with the Lord and because of that I don't put all my hope in this world you know there's things to enjoy in this world there's good things in this world there's enjoyable things in this world but if my hope were in this world I'd be like the world and I would be depressed all the time but because I'm no longer depressed ever In fact, I can remember before Christ, when I was in my before Christ state like Paul, I remember being depressed a lot. But since I've been with the Lord for I don't know how many years, depression doesn't affect me because I know in a little while longer I'm going to be with the Lord. Every year I get older, I don't get depressed because I'm a little closer to being with the Lord. I'm a little closer to being in His presence. How many know that the moment I leave this body... I'm absent from my body. It says I'm present with the Lord and I'll be with Him forever. And there's a place that He's prepared for me. No sickness, no death, no sorrow, no suffering. My body won't be able to sin anymore. I mean, no, our bodies will not be able to sin anymore when we're in the presence of God. And you say, well, man, that's awesome. Everybody goes to heaven, right? No. We've got to trust in Jesus Christ as the Lord of our life. And that hope floods your soul, you know, and you say, man. And church, that's what it means to crucify yourself to this world. The world has been crucified to me and I've been crucified to the world. That means that I have given up the things of this world, the ambitions of this world, and all my hope is in Jesus Christ. I'm waiting to be with Him and I've, I've mortified all those selfish ambitions. And now I'm, my life is wholly given to Christ. And that's what Paul's saying here. Paul, man. It's amazing what Paul went through for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we can get a hold of what Paul is summarizing here today. In fact, let's, let's read some of the things he said here about being... He says in Colossians 2.8, he says, Beware... Lest anyone will cheat you through the philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men and the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him uh, who is the head and the principality and power. Galatians 2.20 says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living In the world do you subject yourself to the regulations, do not eat, do not touch, do not taste, do not uh, handle, which all concern things which perish, um, with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. Paul is saying, and I just want you to hear this summary line again, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I would now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, Who loved me and gave himself for me. So, why did Paul go from being a religious person to serving Christ? It says, because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Paul was devoted because of the love of God. Hallelujah. And today, I just want to ask you as I close what is your motivation? What's your motivation for living for God? I mean, have you been crucified with Christ? And is your desire to live for Christ every day? Um, or is it just a religious thing where you say to yourself, man, if I do this, and I do this, and I do this, God will be pleased with me. How awful would it be if you were a child and you felt like you had to accomplish certain things for mom and dad to love you? How I many have you ever seen somebody like that? They They spend their whole life trying to find... Something that will make mom and dad be pleased with them. Now, what if God were that way? And that's what God is trying to teach in the word. I'm not a God that wants you to be religious and try to please me. I want you to love me. I want you to do everything out of love for me because I loved you. I gave my life for you. That's why God, God could have chose any other way for salvation. Um, you know, He could have chose any other method, but He chose for His Son to die for us. And that was the one way that He chose because He wanted us to know He loved us first. And He wants us to serve Him because we love Him, not because we have to do something to please Him. He wanted you to know He loved you, and that's how He wants you to serve Him. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Worship team. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You so much, Lord. And Lord, today I just pray that You would... Um, Lord, You would help us understand the life, the Christian life that You called us to live, Lord. It's so far from religion, Lord. Lord. It's so far from a list of do's and don'ts, Lord God, it's um, love for you, Lord, and uh, Lord, you've called us to love you, Lord God, you've called us to wake up every day and want to serve you, Lord God, and pour our lives out, Lord, because you did it for us first, Lord God, and uh, Lord, I just pray that you would minister to those who are in the building, Lord, and. Lord help us today Lord in your name we pray I just want you to take time maybe you've never you know given your heart to the Lord and uh, that's what we're here for if you've never given your heart to the Lord we want to pray with you if you have something you're going through we're here to um, we're here to minister to you maybe you you know are have something in your life that you're struggling with. Maybe something that you're burdened with. Maybe something you're depressed with. You know, Jesus Christ died um, because He loves you. and And He cares about you. He cares about everything you're going through, everything you're struggling with. I mean, no, His grace is sufficient for anything that you're going through. He's made us a family to pray with each other. And so, if you're struggling with something today, just find a place at your seat. Find a place at the altar. If you need prayer, come find one of us where happy to pray with you and uh, and uh but otherwise just just give your heart to the lord and worship Him this morning promise we have in that scripture today if I will crucify myself with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me think of that promise Christ is going to live in me what impact could I have on my world around me if Christ is living in me And all I have to do, all I have to do is crucify myself with Christ so I can be alive and He can live through me. I just want you to think, church, what impact you can have this week at home, at your jobs, at your church. Christ is living through you, and that should be the goal of all of us. This week, I want Christ to live through me. When you get up monday morning christ live in me today live in me today that's what it means to be a christian paul learned the secret <laughs> and he was telling us in two efficient little verses let christ live through you. hallelujah let's pray heavenly father empower your people lord god rise up in your people live through us this week lord do mighty things through your people lord in your name we pray and everybody said